Uh, Well, friends, it was Friday afternoon and my phone buzzed. When I looked at the screen, there was a text message. It was from my insurance company and it said this, high probability of hail for Strathfield South. Please take appropriate precautions and stay safe. Uh, It was the first time I had ever received uh, this kind of message from my insurance company. So I thought, you know, this may be serious. Uh, I called my wife and kids because they were not home at the time and I made sure that they were safe. I checked that the dog was inside and that all the windows were closed. Uh, My insurance uh, company probably wanted me to put my car under under the shelter, but uh, I didn't worry about that too much at the time. And sure enough, within the hour, the dark clouds gathered and the storm came. Uh, If you were in the area uh, on Friday afternoon, you would have seen the terrifying thunder and lightning and the sheer amount of hail that started raining down. Did anyone uh, get caught in the hail? Yep, quite a few of us. You see, it's helpful to be warned about something in advance, isn't it? Uh, It helps you to be prepared. Uh, It helps you to take appropriate steps. It helps to eliminate some of the fear uh, of what might eventuate. Uh, Now, uh, as Matt mentioned, we've been working our way through Matthew's Gospel for the past few months. And uh, if you remember, we have seen that Jesus came into this world to bring good news. Uh, As the one who has been given all authority to forgive sins, this one has come not to call the righteous, but sinners into the kingdom of heaven. But last week we saw that the mission of Jesus was to be extended by his disciples. Uh, That's the character of this good news. It must be shared. But I want to suggest that the passage that we're looking at this morning is a bit like my text message before the storm. Uh, What Jesus is doing here is he's warning his disciples in advance of what it will look like to be a disciple who shares the good news of Jesus, who proclaims the good news to the world so that his disciples will be prepared for what is to come. And what is it that disciples of Jesus can expect? Well, simply put, it is persecution. Persecution. You can see it there in verse 16, can't you? Uh, Which I think is the headline sort of verse in this passage. Uh, Verse 16, Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Uh, I don't know about you, but I find this verse extraordinary. For if you remember, last week we saw in chapter 9, verse 36, that Jesus is the great shepherd. Do you remember that? He's a great shepherd who has this gut-wrenching compassion for his sheep. And yet, what does he do here for the sheep who are following him? Well, he sends them out into a world of danger. He sends them out as sheep in the midst of wolves. But friends, it's not as though the disciples are to go out looking for trouble either, is it? For you'll notice there that 
They are to be wise as serpents. Now, serpents generally get a pretty bad rap in the Bible. Um, but here, I think the image is a, is a pretty positive one. Uh, my son Levi tells me that uh, Australia is home to the most deadliest snakes in the world. Uh, something like 21 out of the top 25 deadliest snakes in the world uh, live right here in our backyard. But you don't hear about people dying of snake bites all the time, do you? Um, hands up if anyone knows someone who has died of a snake bite. Oh, okay, one person. I wasn't expecting that, but <laughs> still proves my point. Um, not many people die from snake bites, do they? And it's because snakes are very good at avoiding danger. Uh, if you come across a snake, they will rather just avoid you and go on their way rather than uh, make a scene. And uh, that's what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. They are to stay out of trouble like a snake as much as they can. And further, they are to be innocent as doves. Uh, they are to be gentle, in other words. They are not to be deceptive. They are not to use cunning. They are not to be persecuted because, you know, they are aggressive people and dishonest and rude in the way they go about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. They should not give offence because of their manner of speaking. So why will they be persecuted then? Well, you can see there in chapter 10, verse 18, that Jesus says, persecution will come for my sake. Further, in uh, verse 22, Jesus says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. In other words, persecution will come because these disciples will proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven and they will be living in such a way that they will stand for the name and reputation and honour of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, now, I don't know whether you noticed, but after Jesus' headline statement in verse 16 about the sheep in the midst of wolves, there is a bit of a pattern that emerges next. Uh, more specifically, there are two cycles, uh, one in verses 17 to 20 and another, and another in verses 21 to 23. And in each of these cycles, Jesus tells his uh, disciples the source of the persecution, where the persecution will come from, and what kind of provision God will make for his disciples in the midst of persecution. And so, uh, in the first cycle, what is the source of persecution that you see there? Uh, where will the persecution come from? Well, if you look carefully, you can see that it will come from the religious establishment. You can see it there in verse 17. Uh, Jesus says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Uh, it seems uh, here that Jesus is looking beyond uh, the immediate mission of of the 12 disciples. If you remember, the 12 disciples last week were told to go just to the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, but here, Jesus is looking beyond this mission to the Great Commission, 
uh, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, where the disciples will be told to go to the nations, to the Gentile nations with the Gospel. But did you notice who will be doing the persecuting? Well, it seems like it's those who are part of the religious establishment. For Jesus speaks about being flogged in their synagogues and then delivered over to the state to be tried in the courts and through more official channels. And this, of course, is precisely what happened in the early church. Uh, It was the Jewish religious leaders who, out of their jealousy, persecuted the disciples of the Lord Jesus. I mean, think of the Apostle Paul, who, in 2 Corinthians 11, speaks about being flogged and beaten and stoned by the Jewish religious leaders almost to the point of death and then delivered over to be tried by Caesar where he probably met a gruesome end. But this is also a pattern in the present world as well. For example, it's well documented that in China, most of the Bible-believing Christians are meeting in underground churches because of the interference of the state in uh, the, the official registered churches. If Christians freely practiced their faith in these official churches, then they would most probably face persecution and be handed over to the state. And even in the West, it is those in the religious establishment who are more interested in protecting their religious traditions and their place in society than in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is those who end up persecuting and opposing those who stand for the gospel. However, you can see there that God promises to provide for these disciples when they face such persecution. How? Well, by providing the words to say. You can see it there in verse 19. Verse 19 Uh, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Uh, Now again, I think we see this promise being fulfilled, first and foremost, in the early church. Uh, In the book of Acts, you see time and time again, the early disciples of Jesus facing persecution after persecution. And yet, what does God do? Well, God fills them with the Holy Spirit such that they knew what to say and how to say it. They continued proclaiming the gospel of Jesus with great boldness. But there is something here for us as well, isn't there? For my guess is that we so often struggle with speaking about Jesus because of our anxiety in not knowing what to say. Is that right? And here, you and I are told that God can be trusted to help us speak. Uh, This, of course, is not an excuse to be lazy and not work hard in understanding the gospel well for ourselves. Uh, This isn't a promise that God will automatically take over our mouth and everything that comes will, you know, be gold. But it is saying that God can be trusted to help us in our proclaiming of the gospel. Do you trust that when you have opportunity, God will help you 
to say the words that we need to say. Now, uh, in the next cycle of verses, you can see there that uh, the, the similar pattern. Uh, where will the persecution come from? Well, uh, in this next cycle, it will come from family and those closest to us. Uh, you can see it there in verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, Jesus speaks here about persecution by family members, doesn't he? And those closest to us. And I'm guessing that some of us will know the pain of what this is like. Now, it's not uncommon today for family members to oppose Jesus and our allegiance to this Jesus. Uh, we'll be seeing more of this kind of persecution in next week's passage, so I'm not going to speak about it at length today. But here, uh, I want you to see that the level of persecution rises in Jesus' thinking. It's no longer just about flogging in synagogues and being dragged before courts, but the stakes have risen considerably here, for Jesus now speaks about the possibility of death and martyrdom for the sake of his name. Now, historically, this is true, isn't it? Um, has anyone here read Fox's Book of Martyrs before? Yeah, um, a few of us. Um, John Fox was an English historian who lived in the 16th century. And uh, he compiled a, a record of Christian martyrs throughout Western history uh, up until his time. Uh, it's sobering reading, uh, especially reading about how the early Christians, uh, including these 12 disciples of Jesus, died for the cause of Christ. The earliest disciples were boiled in oil. They were tied to animals by their limbs and dragged apart. In the time of Emperor Nero, they were soaked in wax and tied to posts and set alight to be used as lamps for Nero's dinner parties. They were crucified. They were tortured. They were torn apart by wild animals. Now, it's true that forms of torture and ways of causing death have changed over time, and yet the persecution of Christians around the world and the possibility of death for the sake of Christ is as alive today as it ever has been. In fact, Open Doors estimates that 215 million Christians around the world face intimidation, prison, or even death for their faith in the Lord Jesus. That's one in 12 Christians worldwide. But here's the gracious provision of God when disciples face persecution. You'll see it there, and it is the real and certain hope of salvation. Uh, have a look with me at verse 22. Jesus says, But the one who endures to the end, will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Some of you might know that uh, 
the ministry staff at church spent three days away this week in Katoomba. Uh, we spent time uh, in God's word and uh, in planning and praying for uh, the ministry ahead. But uh, each morning, I went for a jog with Mike, uh, who is our children's worker. Now, uh, I'm no runner, and so as soon as I started running, I was huffing and puffing. But uh, Mike is a good long-distance runner and very good at motivating you to run. If you need motivation, go and, go and see Mike. And so he would say in the middle of the run that we're almost there. Uh, even if we weren't. <laughs> um, you know, the house is just around the corner. You can almost smell the bacon and the, and, and the coffee. Uh, it was enough to keep my legs moving, you see. Uh, that's sort of what is going on here, isn't it? Jesus speaks about the salvation we will have in the end. And so keep going in your faith, even through the opposition and persecution. For the one who endures till the end is the one who will be saved. Now, friends, uh, my guess is that often when we come across passages like this, when Jesus speaks about persecution, uh, it's fairly easy to hear it in the abstract, isn't it? I wonder whether that's your experience as well. Uh, perhaps our response is, well, I'm not really persecuted for my faith in this country. And so uh, what I need to do is pray for those who are really persecuted in other parts of the world and send money to those parts of the world where uh, our brothers and sisters are facing real persecution. Uh, that's generally, I think, the way our thinking goes. Now, it's true that being a disciple of Jesus in Australia is probably not going to result in a loss of life just yet. And I certainly don't want to discourage prayer and financial support for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. And yet, I want to suggest that what Jesus says in this passage goes much, much deeper and perhaps ought to make us feel a lot more uncomfortable with where we are in our Christian lives. For what Jesus is saying is that the real persecution ought to be a normal part of the Christian person's existence. I'll say that again. Real persecution ought to be the normal part or experience of every single Christian person, including you and me. You can see it there in verse 24. These are Jesus' words. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying that if you are his disciple and if I am his disciple, then you and I are to be like him. But if you are like him, then it will inevitably mean that you will be persecuted because Jesus himself was persecuted. When Jesus came into the world, the world hated him. 
When the light came into the darkness, the darkness put him to death. If you and I want to be like him, then persecution is not only inevitable, but it is normal. But further, do you see that the persecution Jesus speaks about here is persecution with words? Uh, Jesus has spoken about physical persecution in the previous verses, and yet here, as with other parts of Matthew's Gospel, um, you'll notice that it's words. He speaks about the religious establishment, calling him Beelzebul, which is a, another name for Satan. In other words, the world called Jesus evil. And so do not be surprised if disciples of Jesus are also called evil. You might know prominent Christians who have voiced their Christian faith and, and values in, in public. Uh, people like Margaret Court or Fred Nile or Lyle Shelton. Now, regardless of what you think of their theology, when they publicly voiced their faith and their Christian values, which were true to the Scriptures, or they were seen as morally evil, and the public vitriol that came towards them came to them, for the most part, in words. You know, your company that you work for supports the LGBTI agenda, and they ask you to participate in wearing a purple shirt to work. You refuse. What happens? Well, you are hated. Your manager and the higher-ups, uh, perhaps even your work colleagues, will see you not only as intellectually inferior, but as morally evil and bigoted and unloving towards a certain community. You are socialising with your friends. Uh, your friends use the name of Jesus as a swear word in almost every sentence. You take issue with this because you want to side for Jesus. And what happens? Well, you will be seen and mocked as evil. You will become that religious killjoy who judges others for their words. Now, brothers and sisters, uh, I am painfully aware of my own failure to speak up at times um, for the name and reputation and honour of Jesus. I, I often find that opportunities come up and then I'm kind of grappling with what to say and then the opportunity passes. Uh, I wonder whether you've kind of felt that before. But I think the reality is that often we do not speak up because being accepted and loved by the world and our peers has become our idol and we would rather stand with the world than with Jesus. Is that true for, for you? If it is, we must repent. Uh, listen to what one Christian author says about our great danger as Christians in the West. He says, The great danger for Christians living in the West is not physical death at the hands of persecutors, 
but the slow spiritual death of a thousand tiny compromises crouched at the door, waiting to devour our, our hearts. And one of the saddest predicaments of our age is that at the moment we need it most, we have let go of a robust theology of belonging to Christ and suffering for him. Friends, do you want to be like Jesus? Um, it's something we say all the time, isn't it? We want to be like him. We want to grow like him. We want to be Christ-like. And I suppose if you are a disciple of Jesus and I'm a disciple of Jesus, it's not an optional extra. We must become like him. But Jesus says that if you do become like him, you and I can expect to be persecuted. We'll be hated, we'll be maligned, we'll be seen as evil. Jesus' terms are clear. I wonder whether this is what you and I signed up for when we first became Christians. However, if disciples of Jesus are going to be persecuted... Uh, I want you to see that there is also great encouragement in this passage. For you'll notice there in verse 26 that Jesus encourages his disciples not to fear their persecutors. He says, uh, verse 26, So have no fear of them. Uh, why should disciples of Jesus not fear the world? Well, Jesus goes on to give three reasons. Uh, firstly, disciples of Jesus are not to fear that their persecutors because in the end they will be vindicated by God. Uh, let's pick it up from verse 26. So have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Uh, what I tell you in the dark say in the light and what you hear whispered proclaim on the housetops. Uh, this idea of revealing something or making known something in the end is the language of vindication, isn't it? isn't it? Jesus is speaking about the last day when it will be plainly obvious that Jesus is the Lord of all things, that he is the King. Uh, every knee will bow to him and every tongue confess that he rules all things. And on that day, disciples of Jesus will be seen to be on his team, on the winning team. And their proclamation of the gospel will be vindicated by God. Uh, you know, it's a bit like watching Roger Federer playing t tennis at the height of his game. Uh, I used to cheer for Roger Federer whenever he played a major tournament. I used to praise him before others. Um, whenever he played Wimbledon, and at the end of the tournament, he would win the trophy and I would be vindicated before my friends uh, at what had just happened. Uh, that's kind of what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? You will be vindicated in the end, so keep on shouting the gospel from the rooftops. Don't keep it private. Don't keep it hidden. Don't suppress it, but shout it. Because a day is coming when Jesus will be shown to be the Lord and Messiah 
and Christ of all things. And on that day, you will be seen to be on the winning side. Secondly, disciples of Jesus are to have an appropriate fear of God. Uh, You can see it there in verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, Jesus is the king who will one day return not only to vindicate his people but also to destroy his enemies. He is the king who will one day dash all those who oppose him like a piece of pottery. And so we are to fear him. If we are tempted to fear our manager in the office or our peers in our social groups or any such person such that we keep the gospel of the kingdom hidden in our lives, then we need to fear the Lord much, much more. Fear of hell, according to Jesus, is actually a good incentive for sharing the gospel. And finally, the third encouragement why we should not fear persecutors is that God will recognize those who acknowledge Jesus before men. God will recognize you if you acknowledge Jesus before men. Let's pick it up from verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? For even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You see what Jesus is saying to his disciples? He's saying even if they die at the hands of their persecutors, it will not catch God by surprise. For he is the one who knows everything about us. Take the example of the sparrow. You know, the sparrow is so little and yet, and has so little value, and yet God knows the precise moment a sparrow dies and falls to the ground. Or how about the hairs on your head? God knows our lives to every little detail, such that even the hairs of our head are all numbered. Some of us may not have that much hair, to count, but you get the point. The death of no man or woman who belongs to Jesus will catch God by surprise, for he knows the circumstances of each and every one of his people. He loves us. He cares for us. We are of much more value to him than a million sparrows. And so those who acknowledge Jesus before others will have the unspeakable joy of being recognized by the only one who matters in heaven. While those who do not acknowledge Jesus before others will tragically not be recognized by God on that last day. And so the question that God asks us this morning is, are you and I people who acknowledge Jesus before other people. 
You know, friends, uh, if you're anything like me, you might long for that day when disciples of Jesus are loved by this world and sharing the good news of Jesus will be easy. Do you ever long for that sort of day to come? Uh, we may long for that day when our governments side with disciples of Jesus. We may long for that day when we will be in the majority in our society and our friends will beg us to share the gospel with them. Well, Jesus says, no such day exists. Persecution is normal in the Christian life. People will hate us. People will malign us. People will reject us. But remember, they rejected Jesus as well. But here, Jesus says, the one who endures in speaking and living for the sake of his name to the end will be the one who is saved, will be the one who will be recognized by God himself. Let's pray. Uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, for, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning and especially for our Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. We thank you also for his apostles and his disciples who endured hatred and persecution and even death in order to proclaim the gospel for the sake of Jesus. And we thank you that because of the work of your spirit through them, the gospel has reached the nations of this world. And we also thank you for those who have shared this gospel with us personally so that we might also know Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. Father, we confess this morning that we are often silent when it comes to the gospel. We often fear people more than we fear you. And so we pray that you would forgive us and help us to be the people who acknowledge our Lord Jesus before others. I thank you for the great comfort we have from you this morning, that not even persecution or death can separate us from your love and your recognition of us in your kingdom. Now, Father, we also pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world for whom following Jesus is literally a matter of life and death. We pray that you would help them to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But we also pray that they may not deny the name of Jesus, but that they will endure suffering and persecution to the end and hold to the promise of eternal salvation that they have and which we share in the name of Jesus. For we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.